That's good. All right, so let's uh, stand, please. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. And the, and the phones. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Did that grace appear the hour I first believed? The Lord has promised good to me, His word my hope secured. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be Shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. Amen. Maybe see it. Good evening here and Magic of Facebook. Um, it is great to be together uh, this Thursday night as we move into uh, our second week of teaching on living as a church. And this is uh, kind, of kind of a cool time for us as a, as a church to get back in the routine of, of teaching and preaching God's word uh, week in and week out. Um, as you see on the screen, uh, we have a syllabus, a 13-week class uh, or program. Um, one quick caveat, uh, there's no need to have to be here for the very first one. If you can't be here for tonight, come next week or the next week. Jump in anytime. There's no reason to uh, not come if uh, you haven't made a couple of classes. Um, while they do flow together, um, they are um, effective and standalone as well. So as you can see, it's a 13-week class. We have put it together. Um, through the resources of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C., and uh, we adapted it for our use here at Cornerstone. Um, as you see, we're in our second week. Topic tonight is going to be membership. Okay. All right. As Jonathan, uh, or as John had indicated last week, um, basic class materials. 
bring your Bible, either electronically or paperly, whatever the case may be. Uh, we encourage you to have a notebook and a pen. And we have provided handouts uh, each week, and we'll continue to provide handouts. This week, it's kind of in a fill-in-the-blank format um, to allow you the opportunity to interact with the subject matters we're going through. Um, and we ask you to bring any size, any kind of enthusiasm. Um, we encourage participation. Um, we will open the, uh, the floor up from time to time for questions. We do ask that you do hold questions towards the end if possible. Um, if not, then um, um, we just ask that you, you be respectful of, of the time and uh, we'll do our best to answer your questions. Um, at Cornerstone Church, we believe in biblical membership and that's why we're doing this curriculum as part of SOHOP. Um, our objective is to obtain a better understanding of what it means to be a local church member as well as the church universal, the church of Jesus Christ. Um, as a quick reminder, um, we need to look at our identity as the body of Christ. We have to be aware of our responsibility and our commitment to one another. So tonight, introduction. I want to begin with a question tonight, and it's up here on the screen. How is the commitment that we make to other people at church different from other commitments that we make in life. Last week, we started by considering the glory of the church. Our church is made up of people who are limited in knowledge, limited in love, limited in patience even. We have different personalities, different hopes, different dreams, different backgrounds, different ways of communicating with one another, and ultimately different priorities. You mix all that together and it would seem like you're likely to get into a lot of trouble as a body. But because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in fact, you get a corporate proclamation of God's glory as a body of Christ. So how does this happen? Well, it happens as we love one another with a commitment that is evidently supernatural. So what does that commitment look like? Well, we'll answer that over the next couple of weeks. This, today, we'll be looking at the depth of that commitment, and then next week we'll be looking at breadth of commitment. Loving those with whom we share little in common but Jesus. So let's consider the depth of commitment tonight. A quick note up front, really when you boil it all down, this is a class about church membership. Now, I know a couple of you, a few of you might be thinking, gosh y'all, I'm already a member, you've already convinced me, I may as well leave now, right? No. Our hope is that by unfolding what membership is and how it's different from other commitments that we see, that we'll all be refreshed as a body and reminded of the unique sweetness of a deep commitment that we have to each other in this church. And what we learn will help us to be better church members. To do that, I want to take some time to draw a distinction between the natural commitment of the world, which we'll use the term comfort-based um, commitment, and then the commitment of church membership which we'll be calling calling-based commitment. So the first thing we're going to look at is comfort-based commitment. Commitment is something that our world, in general, understands. Football fans are committed to football. And I'm talking about real U.S. gridiron football, not that crazy soccer stuff, right? I'm talking about egg hand versus football. There you go. People are committed to their jobs. They're committed to their favorite hobbies. They're committed to their country even. And people are also committed to churches. 
But exactly why people commit to their churches can vary a lot. I'd say that it's common for churches to get you to commit to them in the same way you would do anything else in this world, through comfort-based commitment. Let me illustrate with a non-church example. Talk about Apple products, Macs. At first, um, a Mac is just another computer. And an iPad is just another screen, although some of us are learning that's different. And maybe you end up borrowing your friend's Mac and checking in the email, and you realize that hmm, the screen doesn't hang up quite as much as it does with the PC. Interesting. You hardly call yourself a committed Mac user at that point, but you're intrigued. So when your PC finally dies, and it'll happen at the worst time, you do some online shopping and decide, ah, I'll give Mac a try, why not? Even if it costs a little bit more. Then your friends notice that you're using a Mac, and the, one, uh, the ones who seem most excited, well, they're pretty cool people, because Mac people are apparently cooler than Android people. And uh, well, yeah, there is that. So after you get used to it, you really like the way things work and how intuitive everything is about this Mac, and how much better you fit in while you're working at the local coffee shop. Suddenly, you realize that you've been talking a lot about your Mac, and you realize that your great aunt just gave you an iPad for Christmas. You are in at that point. You, pretty close. <laughs> you do become inseparable from your Mac, and it becomes almost an extension of your brain. Before long, you're going to Mac conventions, you're dressing your kids in <laughs> Apple gear, and wondering how I ever lived without this Mac device. You have gone hardcore. You will notice I am on my PC. So how does this happen? Well, it didn't happen all at once, did it? It was kind of an, an evolving thing, right? You didn't even intend on becoming a Mac Apple fanatic, but the further you got in, the more attractive it looked until you were in pretty deep. Well, for a lot of Christians, that's what church looks like. A church begins by emphasizing that they have no expectations. They advertise church as a great place to go and prosper morally, educate your kids, find community, feel safe, comfortable and catered to. Then you join a small group, meet a few people who you like. Somewhere along the way you become a member, but membership's not really the point. The point is, is that a few years in, you become really committed to your church principally because you like it. And it's kind of easy. That's what we call comfort-based commitment. It works for consumer products like Apple's, Macs, and so forth. And it also works for churches. The model in view, whether you're talking Apple or churches is a commitment as a process. Over time, you see the church community meeting, uh, meets your needs, and so you become more comfortable there. And as you become more comfortable, you commit more deeply. So we smooth the path in our churches and highlight the benefits of getting involved. Hopefully, we can attract people as consumers and over time see them turn into providers. This is the comfort-based commitment, and it is a process. It's marked by its broad, general, non specific treatment of God's word. And as you can imagine, it can often lead to fostering Christian witness, which is very shallow. Let's contrast that a little bit. I'm going to change glasses because I'm old and I need to be able to see better. So these are my Mac Clemson glasses, you'll see. Right? But I don't want to vilify the comfort-based commitment in general. You know, it's natural to drift towards what is comfortable. We do that in our lives, 
We do that in our relationships. We should draw a distinction, however, to what we aspire to in our churches. Calling-based commitment is distinctive because it has a depth and richness to it that, is com- that the comfort-based commitment doesn't replicate. So let's consider some differences. The New Testament describes all Christians as deeply committed to their local church in ways that are meaningful, sometimes painful, and quite deliberate. Let's turn to 1 John 4, 19 and 20. 1 John 4, 19 and 20. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So for John, love between believers is a sign of saving faith. Contrast that with the comfort-based commitment, and you'll see that the Bible calls us to love others. Comfort demands that we love ourselves and prioritize our own preferences. So the second difference, I want you to call diagnostic questions. I'll wait for... We're close. Back up, please. Next one. And next one. There we go. We'll we'll start there. You'll see this flows actually with your outline, and it, it'll it'll pull together. So, um, I want to ask just a couple of diagnostic questions for each one of us to <coughs> examine and ask ourselves. When you come to church, why do you come, and why do you keep coming to church? when you come and keep coming why are you coming to church the second question is what motivates you to take a huge amount of your weekend and cram it into this building what motivates you to crush a huge part of your weekend down into this building comfort based commitment might point to social personal and professional reasons calling based commitment has obedience to God and a delight in his church as one of its primary motivators. The motive, the motive of our community should say something about our faith in Christ. Our commitment to each other should look different from that of the world. Our interactions should look more like Christ and less like our interactions with our coworkers, our friends, and our neighbors. Calling-based commitment commits first and then asks questions about benefits later. Calling-based commitment seeks unity in Christ and thrives with diversity in our background. Let me repeat that. Calling-based commitment seeks unity in Christ and thrives with diversity in our background. Strangely enough, it's with with the formality of membership that deep relationships are formed. Not to say that real relationships can't happen apart from church membership, but practically, within the context of the church, with each new member voted into our membership, it should be crystal clear who we are called to love, who we are to protect, and who we are to initiate relationship with within the context of our local church. A church built around membership is obviously different. It requires commitment up front. 
you decide to promise to love a group of Christians in deep and sacrificial ways, even before you actually know them or know them well at all. So your commitment isn't based on feelings of attachment or comfort or belonging, though I hope all those things eventually come to pass. Instead, it's a commitment that you make simply because it's part of following Christ. Authentic relationships can be found at church that are serious about membership. So this idea of calling-based commitment is a commitment to each other simply because it's part of being called into God's family. Committed to other believers to the local body of, uh, to the local church is Christian. Look back to that passage that we looked, that we read, 1 John. It says that every person loved by God, saved by God, in turn, loves other Christians. That means we need to stop viewing church commitment as a process and start viewing it as an event. The event is our salvation, and commitment is something that inevitably follows. That doesn't mean that, we're, that, uh, that we make all of our commitment to the local church up front. There's a ton of room for growth, and that happens naturally, and I'm, dare I say, organically. But it means that we make a significant commitment up front. In that sense, you'll find plenty of comfort-based commitment in our calling-based church. There's nothing wrong with comfort-based commitment. The problem comes when it becomes our main approach to the life of the church. If we expect to ease our way into a church and see comfort-based commitment kick in over time, we'll basically be a consumers. Consumerist, relationship light, not that different from the world community. We are set apart. Instead, we should recognize that God called us to commit in deep and meaningful ways to a local church when he called us to salvation. If that's our attitude towards church, we'll find a community that is honest about what it means to be a Christian and that serves as a rich catalyst for our Christian relationships. Commitment that is significant. That'd be the next slide. So what are some basic components of this commitment that we've been spending the last 15, 20 minutes on? Or maybe five, I can't, I can't tell. What does it look like? What does it look like effectively, day-to-day, boots on ground? Well, there's four basic pieces to consider. Commitment that is sacrificial. Commitment, a commitment to gather together. A commitment to encourage one another and a commitment to guard one another. Let's look at sacrificial commitment. Romans 12, 14, and 15. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. If I got a new job, I should weep with my fellow church member who, lo- church member who lost theirs. I should give my money, my time, my home to care for others in my church simply because they're God's people. Loving this way isn't for some elite group of Christians that have been in the church for 20 years. No. This is for every Christian. Second, a commitment to gather together and a commitment to encourage one another. They're packaged together in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. 
And let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together, as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. To be a Christian is to join with other Christians on a regular basis. We're called to gather together. The author of Hebrews doesn't, just doesn't envision another category for us. There's no other option. We're to gather together. In the same, va- in the same passage, verse 24 tells us to consider how to work towards together towards good works, right? Something that plainly takes place through the gatherings in verse 25. And the encouragement in the book of Hebrews is much more than a momentary handshake as we come in and out of the door. And as we see earlier in Hebrews, it's an encur- the, this encouragement is an antidote to unbelief. To encourage means to strengthen one another in faith. A Christian is committed not only to their own spiritual well-being, but helping others to fight the fight for faith. And finally, a commitment to guard one another. Matthew 18, 15 through 18. Jesus said, Now if your brother sins, go and show him as show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that on the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, he is to be, he is to, be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So what does this mean? Jesus is saying that if a brother sins against me, I'm to talk to them about it. If he doesn't repent, I'm to take one or two with me and confront him. If he still doesn't repent, I'm to tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax tax collector. What does that mean? Well, in other words, it means to be put out of the church. The final barrier to self-deception in this world is the local church. The final barrier to self-deception in this world is the local church. No one else can tell me so powerfully that the faith I profess with my mouth is contradicted by my life other than my church. And it's interesting that this authority is not given to the pastor or to the elders but to the church body. Of course, the guarding of each other against, against self-deception of immorality or false doctrine is something that we do under wise and loving leadership, prayerfully. But ultimately, the New Testament gives the responsibility for guarding one another, not to one, but to all. Brothers and sisters, God has called you to do these things, to love other Christians sacrificially, to gather with them regularly, to encourage them towards faith, and to guard them from sin and self-deception. Making these commitments isn't something that we leave to mature Christians. That's what the Bible assumes every Christian does. That's what depth of commitment looks like. But if we stop here, we still haven't fully understood the depth of commitment that we're to find in the local church. Because not only is biblical commitment in the church significant, it's also formalized. 
formal commitment. Is a Christian commitment in the local church relatively fluid and amorphous? Or does scripture call us to formalize it? Church membership, the words are not found in scripture, much like the word trinity is not found in scripture. You hear that, you, you get challenged. Well, the Bible doesn't say trinity. The Bible doesn't say membership. But it's intrinsic in scripture. Watch carefully as Paul describes the church in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, and 13a. For what I have, <clears throat> for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. The detail I want you guys to notice is the line separating the inside and the outside of the church. On one side of that line, are those who call themselves believers and submit that profession uh, and submit that profession to the judgment of the church. On the other side are those who have made no such commitment. So some people today talk about having a center-defined community instead of a boundary-defined community. A boundary-defined community is a membership, a covenant membership church. A center-defined community is a little more, little more wishy-washy. Instead of obsessing over who is in and who is out, just teach people and encourage people, no matter their spiritual state, to come closer for the good spiritual food. The problem with this is that it seems to be at odds with how the New Testament describes the church. We see the same thing when the Bible talks about church leaders. We are to submit to our leaders, Hebrews 13, 17, because they someday give an account for ourselves. But if affiliation with the church isn't in any way formal, how do the leaders know whom they are to give an account for? And how do we decide who we submit to without membership? Whether dealing with church discipline or with church leadership, it's clear in the Bible that church commitment has some level of formality to it. Believers know who they are committing to the church and its leaders understand who they're responsible for. This is what we call church membership, using Paul's imagery of the church as a body and we as its members. Now, what difference does this formality make? Does it really matter? Well, it matters in two ways. First, formal commitment serves an, as an affirmation of informal commitment. Formal commitment serves as an affirmation of informal commitment. Let's look at an analogy to marriage. Here's how one author describes the marital application of this. When the Bible speaks of love, it measures it primarily, primarily not by how much you want to receive, but by how much you are willing to give of yourself to someone else. This is in context of marriage. How much are you willing to lose for the sake of this person? How much of your freedom are you willing to forsake? How much of your precious time, your emotions, and resources are you willing to invest in that person? And for that, the marriage vow is not just helpful, but is even a test. In so many cases, when one person says to another, I love you, but let's not ruin this thing by getting married, right? 
what that person's really saying is, I don't love you enough to close off my options. I don't love you enough to give myself to you thoroughly. I don't need a piece of paper to say I love you, right? That's basically a way of saying my love for you has not reached the marriage level. Okay. There are all sorts of discontinuities with this between marriage and church membership. I get it. But one way in which they are similar is this interplay of formal and informal commitment. If someone says that they intend to fulfill all the Bible's one another commands in the context of their church, but refuse to formally commit to doing so through membership, what kind of commitment are they actually intending to make? To use the author's language, their love for their church has not reached the membership level. Formal commitment clarifies who is actually making the decision to love their church as scripture commands. The second aspect, formal commitment makes informal commitment visible. Makes informal commitment visible. Membership in a local church advertises that a person has made some very important informal commitments which help build relationships faster. Someone could have every intention of loving you the way that we see in Romans 12, Hebrews 10, and 1 Corinthians, but if they're not a member of your church, you have no way of really knowing that. When membership is meaningful, it makes informal commitment visible so that relationships can grow at a faster pace. So in the last few minutes of, uh, of church, not of church, <laughs> of class tonight, let's spend just a few minutes thinking about the way this biblical vision of commitment can be more practical. I'm going to say pretty much preaching to the choir. Join a church, right? An important lesson. Some of us or even some of our friends are still weighing whether membership is actually that important. I've had conversations with people um, not too distant past to that very, that very point. Why membership? In those conversations, it's helpful to come back to what it means to be a, a believer, to be a Christian. To follow Jesus is to love others who follow Jesus. That's what inevitably happens when, we, when we're forgiven of our sin. And it's not just a general disposition of love, but a specific commitment to love a specific group of Christians. And that group is the local church. Second, invest in relationships. Then there are those of us who join, but aside from showing up on Sundays for services, joining the church doesn't really change lives. As, as we've already seen, relating to a church in a biblical way means confessing sin so that others can help us fight for our faith. It means confessing struggles so others can help us in practical ways. It means asking hard and, quite frankly, sometimes awkward and uncomfortable questions in our care for one another. It means prayer as an integral part of every relationship. That's one of the coolest things about the WhatsApp group is that when a brother or sister in this church has a prayer request, they put it on that WhatsApp group, and within minutes, there's people responding. I'm praying for you. How can I help you? What can we do? And that's awesome. For a small congregation, that's amazing. So what does it look like when these things don't happen? There are really four cat categories. I don't know if I have a slide on this. Um, yeah, I'm just going to run through these things real quick. There's four categories when, when this 
this understanding of, of membership and calling-based membership doesn't happen. Casual members, uh, the casual member who attends regularly but doesn't do much beyond that, his friends know him best are not in the church. There's the fortress member who seems to be involved, at least in terms of serving others, but they never really express their needs to one another and never let people help them out. There's a lack of vulnerability. There's the static member that starts out with good friendships, but in months, as the months turn into years, those relationships never really expand. It's kind of a frozen community, and it really doesn't turn into much of anything other than a social club, really. And then there's the consumer member. The consumer member has relationships, but it's clear from a worldly perspective why those relationships are important. They haven't, they haven't aspired to love one another in ways that are strange to the world but are inherent in the church. They don't seek to love one another simply because they were first loved by Christ. Third, commit to love the entire body. I think there's a real danger for us in this age that's defined by consumerism and at the same time, we seem to be overly obsessed with this idea of community. We might find ourselves with real and satisfying community in a subculture of the church, but never really step out uh, to engage the broader church. That doesn't mean we need to have deep relationships with everybody here, but we should find that our relationships aren't confined by one particular small group or personality type. Um, we need to reach beyond. If we all take the initiative to include our friendship, include in our friendships someone who is very different from us, what we'll find is that instead of a church composed of subcultures and cliques, we'll have a church where networks of relationships overlap and we create a broad support for one another. One really practical difference between a calling-based community and a comfort-based community is that a calling-based community stretches us to form relationships that aren't comfortable. If not for the body of Christ, the bond of Christ, would we associate? And that's necessary for this relation, relational network that we're talking about. So in conclusion, if you look at how the New Testament describes the local church, this is one of the pillars that holds up biblical, biblical community. That's this depth of commitment, this calling-based commitment. Our culture is telling us to commit only so long as we feel comfortable. Just like it has taken marriage, a couple of kids in here, just like it has taken marriage, where commitment usually precedes intimacy, used to, has pulled all the perceived benefits ahead of the commitment. Well, just like that skewed version of marriage, comfort-based commitment in the church doesn't work very well. It may draw a crowd quickly, but it doesn't produce depth. And without depth, it fails to be supernaturally attractive, a beacon of light in a dark world. Even though that commitment light model seems to be the best for reaching this world, in the long haul, it pales in comparison to the truly supernatural community that we seek. So we need to aspire to a calling-based commitment where we choose to commit to love all the unfamiliar people, love one another, one another, warts and all, 
simply because we've been called by a God to salvation and called by God to love one another. And with that grounding of commitment, relationships will be planted, they will grow, and they will flourish. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather tonight to look at how you view membership and how you've called us to community. Father, there's so many opportunities for us to gather um, socially, so many opportunities to gather in the world, that <coughs> and so many pressures to be like the world in our relationships. And God, I pray that you would guard this church from being that, that we would be a, a body of believers who are called to one another to do the one another's because you first loved us. God, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather together to study your word. We love you and we thank you for first loving us. I pray all these things through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name.